This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R sponsors. The real story of the ocean depths begins where you left off. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone. On a Sunday morning, this is 3 Triple R. This is Radio Marinara, the show about all things wet and salty. My name's Dr Beach. And I'm Dr Surf. Surf, how you going? I'm going to dedicate this show to the Western Bulldogs. Talk <laughs> about, what do we used to call it? G&D <laughs> and Jam Tart. Whole. Oh, what a game. I reckon we can talk about football for 30 seconds. God, that was one of the most exciting games I've ever seen. Yeah, I don't barrack for them normally. But I am now. Yeah. That was that was the heart and soul of the Western Suburbs versus the AFL and the Western Suburbs won. And I know there might be a lot of Geelong fans out there who might have some affection still for Stevie Johnson, but you know, I'm really glad he's not going to play in another grand final after what he did a couple of weeks ago. Oh, uh, all right, we'll move on now. Yeah, let's move controversial, on. Controversial, Dr Beach. <laughs> it is controversial. But anyway, go doggies. Yeah. All yeah. the best to you. I think they're going to have all of Melbourne behind them. And their surf, and their surf, and their coach surfs. Yes. So that's why he's the man. Mm. Luke. Yeah, yeah. Good man. We got a um we got a lot of surf on the show today. You've brought in um Phil Newman I've who brought has in, been I'm, on the show with yeah, us before. I've decided to delegate. Really? Let's spell that word out for Bron. Delegate. And that means I brought in some friends from the Mornington Peninsula, including our correspondent Phil Newman. Good morning, Mr Newman. Dr. Surf, Dr. Beach, thanks for having me this morning. Phil's put the show together for me because I'm so lazy and, and oh, doing other things. We've got our first guest today is Ian Lording. He's going to be talking about surf memorability, mm. collecting stuff, yep. leading on from our chat with Murray a couple of weeks ago. And we're going to be talking to him about what you can find on the web in various archives. The National Film and Sound Archive British being Pathé, one of them. yeah. And there's... Um, oh, I'll let Ian fill you in, but there's a, a just a treasure trove of stuff out there from days gone by. 
You just said something. British pathé. British pathé. Remember, remember when you used to go to the movies? Uh, you're not old enough. But um, <laughs> you, instead of having stupid ads by Val Morgan, you yeah. would have a newsreel of news of the day. This is before everyone had TV. And one of the... Um, there were various companies that did it. One of them, was, I think, was called Cinesound. And the, the British one was called British Pathé. And it used to have this blue rooster... I can see I'm not. I, 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 I don't remember that at all. I, I do remember newsreels. It's the blankest of blank looks I've had in a long time. Anyway, you can now access them on the web, and they're fascinating time capsules. Very nice. And Ian's yeah. got quite a bit of footage of that, so we're going to talk about it a bit later. Yep. Cool. And then we're going to be joined by another Peninsula personality, Jeff Fockler. Yes. He's going to be talking about collecting boards, specifically yeah. um, Hawaiian boards. Yeah. And um, and how not to behave around one of your um, heroes? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Jeff's been uh, uh, a bit of a uh, had a love for for Hawaiian guns from his early days, which we'll talk about a bit later. But and, and uh, guns are not shoot shoot. Yeah, They're exactly. very long boards that are ridden in very large surf. Yeah, so you've got to excuse me. There could be some a uh, little bit of surf language popping through here today. So I'm sure Doctor Surf will uh, correct us and. Been out the English. Uh, I'll be the dictionary. Yeah, the exactly. thesaurus. <laughs> so, and for, and for yeah. those that don't want to hear all surf, I'm going to yeah. wrap it up with a bit of um, stuff that I wanted to talk about last week, but we didn't get time on the blob, which is been, has been driven by the ridiculously resilient ridge known as the Triple R, <laughs> an event, a weather event, which happened off the California coast and finished. Well, it might still be going, but it, fin- it went for about two years from 2013 to the end of 2015, and. Um, very large increase in sea temperatures, and I'd like to talk about all the effects of that. And also bioherms, which are this phenomenon in the Great Barrier Reef in between the reefy bits, which is made up of a green alga, which is called mm. halometa, you might remember, Dr. Yes. Surf, going back to your days of studying green algae. Yes, I remember that one. So it's we'll have, green. A, have a bit of a yak about that. Great. A little bit of news. I, would enjoy, I, I can't really say I enjoyed it, but I guess it was a bit of, um, what's that German word? Um, Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Yeah, yesterday in the paper, somebody who was poaching crayfish uh, in yes. a marine protected area down mm-hmm. in Tasmania. Got three crayfish and um, had to pay 100 grand for it. It was fine. Mm. Yeah, that was very nice to see mm-hmm. that the boys there are protecting yes. things, all the boys and girls who are out there protecting our marine protected areas. Mm. Looking after them and finding the poachers. I've got a little bit of surf news. Yeah. Watch out for the sharks on the west coast. There's been a few encounters, mm. including with Geelong footballers, which is <coughs> no doubt why they lost. They were still rattled. <laughs> Thresher sharks coming along and bumping people. Right. So be aware. Thresher sharks. That's mm. the theory. It's not confirmed. But what I would say these are what I call encounters, not attacks. They just brush past you or they bump you. Right. Which are pretty scary. I noticed that most of the guys stayed out. Yeah, it was one of the was really good. It was probably <laughs> yeah, Friday week, I think, ago. It was yeah. uh, at Bells. Uh, yeah, the was... guy just got a little bit of a thump on the side and. Well, there's three or four him. of them, I think, yeah. in the Bells area. And look, I've been out a couple of times when there's been sharks in the Bells Winky area, so they're not uncommon. No. So be aware, be careful if you're surfing down there. Thresher sharks, I had no idea. You reckon mm. I'd know? But no. Speaking of the West Coast, we've just come back from Lawn for a few days, had the great opportunity of staying at a friend's house down there. And Dr Surf and 
You might remember that there was a seafood shop at the base of the Lawn Pier where you could buy yes. a nice yeah. fresh seafood. Now gone. The old, yeah. co- old co-op's gone. That the co-op's must gone have been a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, nearly a hundred years. So there's nowhere to buy fresh seafood in, in Lawn. Lawn. That's sad. Yeah, we had to go to Port Arlington on the way home and got some very beautiful, sustainable, local, fresh mussels for five dollars a kilo. So mm. if there's any young university student there who wants a job, um, make a bit of pocket money, I suggest go and get a whole lot of those mussels, take a trailer filled with ice <laughs> and mussels and go down the lawn and sell them for 10 bucks a kilo. 20. 20. Yeah, yeah you could easily so, do that. What's the weather doing, Dr Beach? Yeah, what's the Sunday age telling us? Uh, 10 to 15 degrees today, 24 kilometre per hour winds, 70% chance of rain. It's so a partly cloudy, medium chance of rain. Before Oh, well, we had, yeah, we had a bit of rain before dawn. It was a bit damp overnight. Winds north 15 to 20k, shifting west-southwest 15 to 25k early in the morning, then becoming light in the late afternoon. Looking ahead to the week tomorrow, 8 degrees to 17 degrees, 80% chance of rain, so more precipitation. It's still happening. I love all this rain. Mm -hmm. 40% chance of rain on Tuesday with 17 degrees, Wednesday warming up to 20 with very small chance of rain. And Thursday, 15 degrees with an 80% chance of rain. Friday, 90% chance of rain. So more rain is on the way this week. Very nice to see. If you're heading out on the water and you're interested in the tides, at Point Lonsdale, it's going to be a low tide at 11.30 and it was a high tide at 6.16am this Mm. morning. Got a little bit of a surf report. Yeah, the surf's not very good today. The wind's, what, west, southwest? West, southwest. But with a small swell... um, you will, it's not big enough to get any waves in Western Port Bay. There'll be a choppy side shore wave of about a metre. Yeah. At Flinders, there'll be, uh, as the tide drops out, there'll be a small, probably two to three foot wave on yeah. the west coast. Yeah. In other words, the surf coast. That's probably your best bet. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think Torquay this morning we had a quick look and it's uh, it's reasonably clean there around near Torquay Point. Not probably very about, big though. No, probably about half a foot. <laughs> foot so take a long board yeah. and have some fun in the yeah. cold water. But it should back off, as you said, Dr. Leach, it should back off later that wind. So hopefully they'll get some Monday, wave. Tuesday looking all right. Yeah, more west. Hmm. And we have been joined in the studio by our first guest. Welcome, Ian. Good morning, Dr. Surf. Ian, um, I'm going to hand over now to our peninsula correspondent, the ever-dapper Phil Newman, <laughs> and he's going to ask you a few questions about your passion of collecting all sorts of things. And I know I've seen some of your records and books. They're amazing. So let's get stuck into that, Phil. Welcome, Ian. Morning, Phil. Um, I'm just uh, lucky enough, as I said before, to, to bring in a couple of really serious collectors today. And, and we'll talk to Vox a little bit later. But uh, uh, I just want to mention how I met Ian oh, probably nearly two years ago or more. A bit um, more. Yeah, a little bit more, probably three years now. And I was down getting my car service down in Brayside. And uh, Looked over to the right-hand side after I went to pick it up and there's a classic Clem Bell gun, uh, as we mentioned before, a, a board you'd ride in Hawaii or Indonesia, and an Egan sitting up hanging in front of a panel beaters. And I thought to myself, being a collector myself, I thought, well, I think I can jag these for about 10 bucks each off this guy. He hasn't got a clue what they're <laughs> worth. Anyway, I proceeded to walk over and said, how are you, mate? And uh, what about those boards? Do you want to sell them? And he said, well... No, I collect them. Anyway, we walked inside, had a bit of a talk, and there was, I suppose, on top of his spray booth, there was about another 20 or 30 boards up there and a couple of timber ones inside, 
And I went, whoops, I think I've uh, stumbled off a real you know, serious collector here. And uh, ever since then, we've become friends. And um, I've gone through some of Ian's memorabilia and seen what he's collected. And, uh, yeah, that's why we thought we'd get him in today because when you get these guys that spend their passion is, is this sort of equipment, they really, uh, they really go into heart and soul. I thought we'd get him in today and have a bit of a chat. So, Ian, can you, uh, can you just give a bit of a rundown of, of obviously where you grew up and how you got into it? Yeah, Phil, I grew up in Parkdale, Bayside suburb. Uh, like a lot of guys back then, uh, started surfing the bay waves. Yep. Uh, and then we had to wait for a, a howling sour westerly for the uh, windswell to come up. And yep. so growing up, up in Parkdale, uh, and then as we got older, we started doing trips down the coast with guys who were older than us and had licences. So we yep. had a pile in their car and, and we all did it yep. and uh, got down the coast and started uh, riding real waves. Yeah. Were you surfing in your old uh, footy jumper and your footy shorts in those yeah, days? I was, if, yeah. yeah. And then we had the old Velacqua wetsuits, yep. which used to cut right through your skin. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, did all that. Did you find that, I mean, in those days, Chelsea, Parkdale, uh, Frankston, probably a little bit later became, they were real... That sort of spawned the surf culture around around Melbourne in those early days. So uh, the Oaks of the world and Mick Pearce and those sort of guys were triggers. Then triggers, yeah, obviously. Stay. Triggers starting uh, surfing at Chelsea. Yeah, but anywhere from Brighton right the way down to Mornington, yeah. everyone started surfing the bay waves. And some of your early boards that you had. Uh, once uh, I had my hollow paddle board, yeah. which obviously you couldn't surf on. Uh, and then I got, when I was about 11, I got a Gordon Woods, nine foot two Gordon Woods yeah. uh, Mal. So that was my first real surfboard. Yeah. And had that for a few years. And then I got a Clem Bell surfboard and chopped that down to shorten it. Uh, and then when the short boards really came in, I got a Oak five foot ten, yeah. which I've recently just had a replica made of. Yeah. And the triggers as well. I think you had a short board of the I triggers. Had a, had a custom built triggers, yeah, which I took to South Africa later on and had to sell over there. Yeah, yeah. Do you, um, I suppose, leading into the collector side of your life, um, those early days, were you collecting mags? Were you getting the early tracks mags and things like that? Or I was. Yeah. I had a lot of the surfing worlds, most tracks magazines. In fact, I had two copies of the first edition tracks, which I no longer have, and yeah. which now worth a fortune. Yeah. Um, yeah, still have many magazines. Yeah. And in those days, skateboards, GT skateboards, were, I think you've got a good collection of those at the moment? Yeah, I've got a fair collection of skateboards, yeah. my first one being the um, Web GT with the old clay wheels on them, yeah. which were deadly. Um, the reason being that you'd hit the tiniest of pebbles and the wheels would just stop and you'd keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And we used to skate around the factories around the back of Seaford and... Any hill you could find, which, yeah. 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 And, and what... For the listeners, what era are we talking about here? Um, mid mid sixties for the clay wheels from memory, mid nineteen sixties. Yeah. I remember the we used to call them chalky wheels. Yes, it's just, just skid at the clay. Yeah, and, and the other thing, memory I have of those wonderful skateboards of that era was the death wobbles, the speed yeah. wobbles. Yeah, especially on the shorter boards, and they were notorious if you on homemade skateboards with the old roller skate wheels on them. Basically, what, what that meant was once you got above a certain yeah. speed, the board would develop this wobble that you couldn't possibly control and could only end up in, in one thing, yeah, which was a skin graft, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I've got one to prove it. Yeah. So the skateboards these days have improved. 
Oh, immensely. I don't. I've had a go on my son's one, and there was no no mm. speed wobbles. I've, I recently bought myself a longboard, long skateboard, ah. and um, I tentatively ride that around. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, and you brought in a few albums, including some with amazingly weird titles, and we're looking at one called "Surfing with Bo Diddley." <laughs> about what era are we talking about there? Oh, that would probably be around the 63, 1963. And there seemed to be this tendency where they would put... Because this was the era of Gidget. Correct, yeah. The surf culture explosion. It was a fad. It was a fad and Mm. they were cashing in. So they'd put an album together for any... Just about every pop star you could think of. Put a surf photo on the front. Uh, I've got one of Dwayne Eddy, who was famous for his big guitar sound. But, I mean, surfing and Dwayne Eddy. So I wasn't aware that... There's a number of them, isn't there? There's, there's, oh, there's heaps. Where yeah, do you find these um, these albums these, these days? D- well, these days it's mainly on eBay. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so much comes out of America. So yeah, I was looking at this Bo Diddley. Did you get that one in that America? Was, that would have been no. Nah, well, via America, yeah. eBay, yeah. yeah. And yeah. typically, and I mean, the days of the op shops and everything. Everyone's sort of woken up to what things are worth or will sell for. So. They're getting quite scarce at the markets yeah, and they, these days. they are, but there's still bargains yeah. out there. You yeah. Know. Yeah, and you, I guess you've just got to know your market and know what to pay for them. I mean, you'd have how many... Uh, we were around at Ann's the other day and it had... How many albums would you have? Oh, there'd be a couple of hundred surf yeah. LPs. Yeah. And, and I, I haven't played most of them. Yeah. I mainly buy them for the uh, artwork on yeah. the covers. Yeah. I mean, there's only so much surf music you can listen to, really. <laughs> <laughs> but you've got a good... I noticed you've got a good collection of EPs. They yeah, were popular pi- in those when yeah, you Yeah, the, the picture sleeve EPs I love. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember going into Coles back in the 70s and you could never afford an, an album, but, you know... You'd go for the next... A long play thing. and you'd always go for the EP. Yeah. And yep. I saw that Atlantic stomping one you had. Yeah. You know, uh, and what would they be worth now these days? I mean, a, a good cut. Uh, uh, any, anywhere from $40 upwards. Um, yeah. You can pay up to $300 or more for something really good. Right. Uh, um, Morning of the Earth album, in, in good condition, they bring a good price. Yeah. Oh, good. I've got one of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not for sale, though. Yep. Now, one of the other things that um, I'd like to have a chat to you about is your interest in archival footage on the web. Yeah. Archival footage of beach and surf culture. Yep. And you sent me a, a couple of links, one of them that I had a look at from British Pathé, what sort of company was British Pathé? I, I don't know much. Do? I don't know much about them, but uh, on their website, it's funny that how they have so many surfing uh, video clips on there or movie clips. Um, but not only that, it, they, they have um, uh, films of all sorts of topics, you know, all through both world wars and just anything and everything on there. But funnily enough, a lot on surfing. Yeah, they're, they're newsreels, so they were like mini documentaries that. Yeah. that to my memory, were put on before movies when you went to the movies. Yeah, correct. And so they were they were like the fascinating time documents. Yeah, yeah, of a time. And the one I watched was from 1964 in Australia. And as I said to you before, they crammed in every surf cliche they could think of into a three-minute clip, yeah, like the storm. Best, yeah. <laughs> best English. Yeah. Um, the other day we looked at a, well, the other day we looked at footage back from 1920, didn't we? Yeah, Bondi in 1924 or something, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, and it was, it was clear, it was beautifully yeah. done and yeah. remastered. and yep. it was uh, Which wasn't long after surfing started. Yeah, so there's some really early stuff in mm. there. And the other one is the National Film and Sound, Sound Archive. Archive. Yeah, they have a lot of stuff on there too. So yeah. what would you, can you just tell us what the what the link is or the, the just, you just Google? Just Google British Pathé or... And it's um, spelled P-A-T-H-E? 
correct, or the, the NFSA, and it'll come straight up. The other one is Screen Australia. They have a lot of archival um, footage on there as well. And once you get onto the site, do you, can you just you, do a you, search around beach or something? It'll take like you that. anywhere. Yeah. Just, yeah, punch in surfing, beaches. Uh, yeah, you, you'll find it. Hours and hours of fun. Mm, yeah. Ian, you've also, budding journalist, um, you've also uh, written some articles about Pacific Long Border and uh, Australian Long Border, and I noticed some. Uh, you've got a, some lovely books, which we saw the other day as well. And is that something you want to you want to aspire to? Once you, well, I think you're nearly retired. I have you? retired. You have retired. Yeah, yeah. yeah it'd be good yeah. to do a little bit of writing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've done a couple of small things for uh, Pacific Long Border. Yeah, that uh, that typical book we've got sitting here. You should have been here an hour ago. Is that right? Uh, yeah, that, that, this book, um, it's an American book published back in the very early 1960s um, and very rare, more so in Australia. It's yeah. Phil Edwards' autobiography. He was the best surfer in the world in the early 60s. Yeah. It's called You Should Have Been Here an Hour Ago and it is a very rare item. The last one in Australia that I know of sold for uh, about $1,750 uh, last year. And that wasn't in anywhere near as good a condition no, as that, was no, it? No, this is in pretty mint condition. Yeah. So, yeah. Ian, this wonderful collection of things that you've got together. Are, are you planning on formatting this or, or presenting it in some way that other people can, can have a look at it? So perhaps scanning it, putting it up on the web or even having a, an exhibition yourself? I mean, just so people can actually see this book and these album covers and... I haven't really thought about that, but um, every so often a, a vintage show of sorts comes up and we take stuff along to that and people can look at it and, yeah, that's, but I haven't thought about doing anything myself. And, and my collection of stuff's quite minor to some of the real serious collectors. Oh, that's just mind-boggling what they have. So no, no thoughts of turning your lounge room into a museum? I'm not allowed. You're not allowed? <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, that Kerry's going to... Uh, she said no more. No more. Uh, downstairs uh, is my domain yeah. and I uh, can't have anything upstairs. Just to let you know, I was around with Ian the other day and uh, just about every room's got a classic board hanging off the roof or some sort of surf art on the wall. So, uh, yeah, like Kerry said, no more, I think, and... Uh, You'll take it to the grave with you, I imagine. Oh, well, anything's, yeah. Anything and everything's for sale, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> At the right price. <laughs> At the right price. <laughs> yeah, and, and just just quickly to wind it up, are you, um, I know you've got your HD Classic Surf panel van. That you've, HG. Yeah, well, HG, yeah. 1970. And um, that's obviously up and about and, and yeah, fully that restored. Was a, that was a seven-year restoration. Yeah. Uh, but it's, uh, it's on the road and looking yeah. pretty good. And we see the boards bolted on there at times, yeah, so, which is good. Yep. But um, do you think ever that, uh, like I said before, you'll start to get rid of this, some of this stuff? Or is I it suppose something? you'll have to at some yeah. stage. Just an interesting comment. On, uh, we'll be talking to Jeff about this um, when he comes in. There, there are cycles in collecting. And the basic premise is once people of a certain um, age, let's say 50... They start. They want to go back and collect their childhood. Yeah. And so, right. as the generations progress, the boards that are popular move forward. When I first started collecting, the boards that were popular were the big '60s Mals. Mm. Now they're the '70s, 70s. boards, mm. and they're starting to go into the '80s boards yeah. because people collect uh, something that's maybe 30, that 35 to. years. But yeah. yeah. And, 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 and then um, the, Murray mentioned that when he was yeah. on a couple of weeks ago that now. Um, some of the guys that are approaching 40 are now sort of maybe looking to the very early thrusters. Yeah. yeah. Which mean nothing to us. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. So it's it's a never moving feast. Mm, it is. It is. Yep. Well, thanks very much for coming in, Ian. It's My been pleasure. a pleasure. Thank you. Certainly seeing these books. You better double check them when we get out of the car because I think some of them might have found their way into my pocket. <laughs> thanks yeah. for having me. Thanks, thanks Ian. And Dr. Surf, you're joined by some of your um, your surf buddies from down the peninsula. We've got two PSC surf legends here. <laughs> Oh, legends. I get invited to the parties, but I never go in the comps. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Vockler, welcome. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for getting up so early on a Sunday morning. No, no, all good. Uh, uh, early night, uh, watch the footy and a uh, couple of reds s- and then into bed last <laughs> night. did well. I was so excited when the doggies won, I couldn't yeah, go to no, sleep. Yeah, it was a great game. And so, Jeff, the, uh, thanks for coming in today. Um, Jeff came down from Mount Eliza Way, yeah, and uh, in his T Bird, which we, uh, which we, is not parked outside. No, nah, no, nah, we brought brought my car up today, but Jeff's got a beautiful T Bird, sixty five, sixty one, sixty one. I beg yeah. your pardon, sixty one. Uh, just checking how much you how well you knew it, mate. Nah. Um, but Jeff, just thanks for coming in. As you, as we mentioned before, Jeff's a, a, a serious collector of uh, of surfboards especially Hawaiian guns, as we've learned to know what they are. Um, Jeff's coming today to have a bit of a chat about that collection and, and what spawned his, uh, his, his early days of uh, getting that love for those particular boards. I think, Jeff, the early days, I go back to your 21st when we all pitched in and, and made you a, a trigger Hawaiian gun with a lightning bolt on it. That's and, right. I went uh, on... Uh Tidal Wave Ted Tour, yeah. Ted Bainbridge, uh, <laughs> 78, and um, yeah, uh, a lot of guys in the Board Riders Club, it only just started the Peninsula Surf Riders, and uh, yeah, everyone put some money in, so, and uh, bought me this board, I, I don't know about you, Phil, I, yeah. I don't think your name was on the card. No, mate, it wasn't. No, you signed the card, but you didn't pay up. <laughs> yeah, I didn't put $5 yeah. in in those days. How long was you? the board? <laughs> Uh, seven two. It was, it was very undergunned, but um, it was still, yeah, you know, certainly did the job. Quite thick, but I, I could have done with another couple of feet on it. Was, for that, sure. was that your sole board in Hawaii that season? Or? No, no. I took um, seven two and uh, a stinger back then. It was oh, six stinger. six stinger. Oh. Stinger. Yeah. What's a stinger? Well, a stinger. Uh, Single thing. Was, uh, originated by. Um, Ben Aper in Hawaii, and it was a, a, like a, a, a wing that came in sort of three quarters away down the board, or sometimes near halfway up the board, and ended up with the swallowtail. That had cut in quite yeah, sharply. That pull in, yeah, it cut in. So that's like, where the little wings come from. And um, then they had these things called step stingers, where there was a, a line across where the cut came in. That's right. And La- the, Larry and it was like a little step, be, yeah, yeah, in the bottom of the board. Yeah. And does that give you more manoeuvrability? Or a, you know. a bit too much. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was very experimental back yeah. then. And some look, these guys who surf these boards were conversely right anything. Oh know? yeah. So uh, it was just us guys who had the trouble with them. <laughs> <laughs> And Jeff, you grew up around the peninsula, down the Frankston end. Um, Ian was down from the other end of the town, but uh, really strong surf culture down there with the PSC in, in, in the early days. So, yeah, and the PSC is the uh, Peninsula Surf Club. Club. And yeah. yeah, I suppose you're one of the early members, and and obviously still down that way. Yeah, I was uh, a junior back then, so um, 74, 16. So I'm giving away a bit of uh, info on my age here, but anyway. <laughs> Um, yeah, very exciting times. It was uh, the biggest he- thing that hit the uh, 
peninsula for, for, for young crew, yeah. surfers. You know. Now, were you, um, I suppose, the, the collecting side of boards, that's obviously come later in your life? Yeah, well, going on from the um, 21st present moment, yeah. but I, I ended up keeping that board for, for sentimental reasons. And uh, so virtually I had that one. I, I, I was working somewhere, I found a, a, an old Gordon Woods Mal, and then someone else gave me one and said, oh, you know, you're into boards. This one's been lying around, have this one. So all of a sudden you've got five, then six, and it just keeps going. Yeah. Keeps and going. got a particular interest in lightning bolt boards. From yeah, Hawaii I think it takes 70s. me back to um, going to Hawaii in 78 and e- even like way before that, like you couldn't pick up a magazine without Jerry Lopez with a lightning bolt and right back in the early 70s, everyone was just putting lightning bolts on their boards. <laughs> you know, there's no stickers <laughs> or decals back then, so everyone... There's no copyright. No, no, everyone just sort of threw a lightning bolt on their boards, so... Yeah, lightning uh, bolt was a company... Uh, from Hawaii, North Shore of Hawaii. Yeah. Uh, and they dominated um, the boards that were written in Hawaii in the 70s by the famous surfers like Reno Abalera and, yes. um, and Jerry Lopez. And um, they were particularly, you could spot a lightning bolt a mile away because they would have a very large lightning bolt on the deck. Exactly. In all sorts of colours. And um, so you've got a few of them. Who shaped the ones you have? Uh, Jerry Lopez uh, shaped... Um, uh, I've got an eight-foot... Well, I've got a, quite a few, but my, my two favourite ones are uh, an eight-foot Jerry Lopez, and that would be um, very early uh, 70s, no leg rope plugs or any mm-hmm. sign of leg rope, so before the leg ropes were invented. And my other favourite one is uh, Reno Abalera, um, uh, Flyer Swytail yep. and uh, the old Timber Finn, and once again they, they were restored. They were actually restored by Randy Rarick in Hawaii. So, uh, and Jeff, can you tell us a bit of a story about that? I think the first board that you bought, you were expecting to to turn up, and then you got a bit of a surprise for the Abalero came second. Yes, well, yeah, I, I wanted I wanted the, um, the 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 Lopez, the, the eight footer, and then uh, I spotted this at Reno Abalero, and I thought, ah, oh, look. I'd love to get two, but I couldn't really quite afford it. So um, when they when the board rolled up at home delivered, there were two boards there. So my wife and family, yeah, kindly surprised nice me. Present. So yeah, and you can can you enlighten us on a little bit of a um, a story regarding? I think recently uh, Lopez was out here for some signings with Patagonia and. Uh, a 55-year-old Grommy was dancing around the table, being yourself at that time, and um, I think you were you were more than overzealous to get a signature off him, and, and Jack McCoy was sort of pushing you back to say, well, hang on, just just lighten up here a bit. <laughs> yeah, well, it, uh, yeah, it was a book signing at Patagonia in uh, Torquay, and a friend of mine, Cam, uh, suggested uh, I should go over there and get, it, get the board signed. I said, what a great idea, so... Cut a long story short, I was there and um, Jack McCoy was like, I don't know if you've ever come yep. across Jack McCoy, quite a tall uh, American guy, yeah. you know, and uh, he was virtually the bodyguard for Jerry and I kept buzzing around trying to get stuff signed. I got a book signed and I got another book signed and then I got a poster and, and I kept 
badgering yeah. Jerry. Jerry, yeah. Jerry, can you sign this? Jerry, yeah. Jerry, can you sign? And Jack McCoy's like, man, I've told you, just give him some space, man. You know, there's a lot of people here, and they all trying to get stuff signed, so we don't need you buzzing around. And then I, I thought, oh, I've still got something else. I want, a, I want a photo. Jerry, Jerry, can I get a photo? Yeah. Anyway, so it all worked out well. Yeah. But, um, Did you yeah. get the board signed? If, if you know, fifty-five-year-old grommet running around, but anyway, <laughs> you've got to get your board signed. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's that's like true. any painting or anything. It, it, it's it's provenance. Yeah, it. Um, yeah, yeah. I guess it just gives it a bit more depth, I suppose. Um, yeah, I've, I've just bought a, uh, a Jeff Hackman, and um, I know a good friend of mine um, knows him quite well. So I, I would like to get that signed. Yeah, but not not for monetary reasons, but you know. Yeah. For Jeff, do you have a, uh, a bit of a love for local manufacturers as well? Um, you know, history locally, and I know you've got some, some yeah. good classics from the local guys. Yeah, well, yeah, I've, you've got a, quite a few, but, um, you know, obviously the, the, the Trigger Brothers I yeah. was given to when I was younger was... Uh, that's a, that stands pride of place for me. But, uh, yeah, I've got Mick Pierce and I've got, uh, you know, uh, Parkinson Brothers who uh, did a, a bonza back in that, those days, in the early experimental days. And, uh, yeah, just quite a few locals. I wouldn't mind getting a few early Chris Cornells or something like that. That'd yeah. be a bit of fun. Are you still on the hunt for them, obviously, with this, this Hackman you've just bought? So obviously still looking. I Look, see, collecting, it's a funny thing. You, you do go through stages and... Uh, the worst thing you can do is go through the, and browse because you'll yeah. spot something and <laughs> it, it's all over. So, yeah, yeah look, it's uh, I go through stages like anything and, you know, but it, it's got to catch your eye, catch your eye, if you know what I mean. It's got to really stand out for me and I've got that many that I really, I've really got to choose what I, what I get now. You so know? you're going to move some on, you think, and then like Rod said, you've Obviously, moved to another era, or will you stay around about that? Ah, uh, no. Look, seventies is my. I grew up yeah. with that, and it's that's my passion, and um, I can identify with it. And I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm an authority on it, but I do know. Like, like I say, uh, that that is my era. Yeah. Actually, you know. Yeah. I suppose, um, other than the. Uh other than the the boards, you've, you've still got magazines and you've got a, a couple of good classic surf wagons as well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's like I think any any guy grew up growing up surfing is click. You know, you've put things aside and yeah. all of a sudden they're, I guess they're worth something or yeah. they're collectible. But yeah. um, I think it's like as a, there's a gene, a collective yeah, gene, and yeah. you're born with it. Yeah, I can remember when I was a kid, I collected everything from. You know, footy cards, Batman cards, 007 cards. Of course, I don't have them anymore. But there was just this thing in my head. And I'm collecting all sorts of other things at the moment. But it's just, it's a bit of, it's like the hunt. Yeah, I think it is the hunt. And it's like, it, it is a prize when you find something yeah. you, you love. And, uh, <gasps> and it's you know, cheap. And it gives you, yeah, it's, yeah, it just gives you that. You get little, that buzz. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, thanks very much, Jeff, thanks, for coming Jeff. in. Oh, no, pleasure. And, pleasure and sharing your love of collecting with two other collectors, three other, really. Yeah, three, actually, and we're all here, I think. Um, just to throw something in, next year we're actually um, planning the Point Leo Vintage Day again in November. The third one. Yeah, the yep. third one. So last year we had oh, probably 30 or 40 exhibitors and over a 1,000 people came through the foreshore. So next year... For you, in buddy. November, so yeah. there's plenty of time to get ready. Well, there'll be a lot more announcements about this 
in a year's time. So we'll have Combi Club and, and everything else and all the vintage boards will be there again. On so the we'll look forward to that. At Point Leo. Exactly. It's fabulous fun. Yeah. Thanks again, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Oh, thanks for having me. Pleasure. Do you, we were talking about National Geographic before mm. and how you discovered it, rediscovered, rediscovered it, it in doctors' waiting rooms or physios waiting rooms. Physios <laughs> waiting rooms. Physio, that's going to I'm going to doctors' waiting rooms too much. I kind of a little bit embarrassed that just opening National Geographic, the most recent edition, I learnt of a phenomenon which is called the Blob, which happened off the California coast. It started about late 2013 and kept going to about late 2015. And this is a phenomenon which was... It was an increase in surface temperature of the sea and it spread from the coast of Alaska all the way down to, to Mexico, down to Baja, California, and a good deal out into the Pacific. And this resulted in there being increased temperatures of about three, four, and sometimes even six degrees centigrade in these areas. And you in might, the surface, on the surface waters? On the surface. How, going far, down, how going far down did it go? Down to about four, 80 metres at times, and there is it appears to have subsided a little bit now, and it's gone a bit further down, so you can still see an increase in temperature down at about 100 metres and below that. But this was brought about by a phenomenon which people think is called well it was called the ridiculously resilient ridge or triple r which i found quite interesting which is a a high pressure ridge which persisted off the coast of california so it didn't it stopped the winds the normal offshore winds which would push warm waters off and allow cool nutrient rich waters to come up from the depths and those cool nutrient which rich waters off the coast of California and also off the coast of South America bring up an enormous amount of nutrients and those nutrients feed the phytoplankton which then feed the zooplankton and then feed everything else and when you interrupt this then you have and as was dramatically seen for this two-year period off the California coast you see this period of not a lot happening there's um so anchovies um, sardines normally, have, you know, Cannery Row, all of that off Monterey, normally have an enormous number of these small nutrient-rich fish, lots of, you know, good oily fish which sea lions feed on, all sorts of other things, and they were dramatically reduced in numbers. Hence, you had many, many sea lions which were, you know, going ended up in restaurants on short, you know, not in restaurants, but but in cafes, sitting in cafes, waiting for a coffee, not on the table, not being eaten. <laughs> in California, you could see lions. Yeah, they have you a could soy see latte. <laughs> they could have a soy latte, couldn't they? Yeah. So is this is this the timing of this? Is it linked at all to the El Nino or one it's, of those? They have this. There's so people are unsure. It might be linked to El Nino, but there have been El Ninos before and this has not happened. Some people suggest that it might even be due to shifts in the jet stream. So the jet stream is having an effect on the wind, so the drop in the jet stream winds. Therefore, you have this high-pressure ridge, that ridiculously resilient ridge, which is staying there. And some people have even suggested that the change in the jet stream comes about through rapid melting of the sea ice further north in the Arctic and then that's interfering with that. But that's just one theory that not too many people are, are sticking with at the moment. So it's just basically a very high pressure weather event yep. that results in light winds so that the strong offshores aren't there to push that water away and allow upwelling. Is that 
Exactly. Nailed it. So there's a surfing perspective to that. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get the offshore winds. So that's... Uh, yeah, they haven't mentioned that in Nigeria. And has there been any research done about whether this has happened previously, you know, 100 years ago or before global warming, or is it that has that link been established, or is it still...? Um, a lot of people are thinking that this is part of the overall effect of climate change, of warming of the, of the earth and the atmosphere, but there's been no evidence that this has happened in the past. Interestingly, talking about things in the past, though, one of the other knock-on effects of this with the increase in sea surface temperature is you get blooms of, of phytoplankton, mm. some of which are, are nasty, and there's one which is called it's a diatom, so this tiny little brown phytoplankton cell which has got glass walls around the outside. But there's this one in particular which is called Pseudonitsia, and this, when it blooms to great numbers, produces a, a neurotoxin which is called demoic acid, and demoic acid is this really pernicious, nasty thing which, when ingested in large amounts, and it can be ingested by people, by humans eating shellfish, for example, mm-hmm. um, ingested, of course, by the animals who live in the ocean by eating the things which are accumulating this phytoplankton. Yep. So, there, for example, there were many, many different whales, which were orcas, particularly up off the coast of Alaska, who were washing ashore uh, with scrambled brains. Oh. So one of the effects of demoic acid, there was a really there was a famous incident which happened about, uh, I think, in, back in the early 90s in the uh, Gulf of St. Lawrence up near Montreal. So a whole lot of people rocking up to emergency wards with no memory of what they'd eaten the night before. But what they had done was bitten off their lower lip. I've heard of Bitten this. off the tips of their tongues. So it has this effect of both numbing but also making you lose your memory. Really, oh. really nasty stuff. Yeah. And in fact, um, and Nat Geo mentioned this in the article, it's quite interesting, we've been talking about stuff from the 70s before with surfboards and collectibles. You might remember a film called The Birds, that Alfred Hitchcock film, which was made in 1963. Yes. With Rod Taylor and Tippy, Tippy. Hedren. Tippy Hedren, that's yes. right, Tippy Hedren. <laughs> um, that was... I didn't know, but that was based on a true phenomenon. So in 19, the film was made in 1963, but in 1961 there were reports in the California newspapers of shearwaters coming on shore after having had a big load of anchovies and slamming into windows and just a huge number of shearwaters going into cars, terrorising people. And <laughs> It's like zombies. Yeah, yeah, that's right, but this, this actually happened. And it's because they ate the diet? Well, people have gone theory? back through samples, trawling samples, you know, phytoplankton trawling samples that people have made in that period, in 1961, in that summer of 1961. And now that we know what Pseudonitsia pseudodelicatissima is the species looks like, and we now know that that is responsible for making demoic acid, people have gone back through those samples and they've been able to look under a microscope and say, yes, there were large numbers of this organism present then. There you go. That's got to be the story of the morning. Anyone listening to that will remember that for all time. That's right. That is fascinating. So that's the blob. And just one last question that I probably didn't pick up on. Has this blob resulted in wide-scale marine life death? Well, as I said, anchovies are gone. So the things who are dependent upon anchovies and sardines have... Many of those have died. In fact, people have said this is probably one of the most significant biological events which has happened off the California coast in living memory. 
Is it still going or is it It, it appears to have passed, so the, the ridge is gone, that ridiculously re- resilient ridge is gone, so the sea surface temperatures are now moving back towards, in fact, have moved back to normal in the past seven or eight months. But there is still evidence that that increase in temperature is there at depth, so that's having unknown effects as well. But, yeah, widespread effects, uh, changes in um, squid numbers, um, as I said, whales dying, and a lot of it has been from the the knock-on effect of these phytoplankton blooming. Mm. Fascinating. It it is fascinating. And it's interesting, really, I mean, this is pure speculation, but the timing's the same. We've been in a drought, period of drought. It's now this year getting lots of rain because El Nino's gone and it seems to be the same time as the triple R over there is receding. Everything's related. Everything is related, that's yeah. right. And just one, one little plug for you know a friend of yours and mine, Dr Surf, a guy called Dave Hill who we've had on this show. So I mentioned that organism that died on Pseudonitia Pseudodelicatissima. That's a very, very difficult thing to, to actually identify. It looks very similar to a thing called Nitsia, as you might imagine, which is why it's called Pseudonitsia. And, and Nitsia is not toxic? Toxic. It's not toxic at all. It doesn't make demoic acid. So mm. when you, and we talked about Port Arlington before, collect, mm. getting mussels down there. Mm. So we have to monitor the, because we get this organism in Australia too, and in Port Phillip Bay. Mm. So those waters have to be monitored mm. carefully by people to make sure that we don't get blooms of these toxic phytoplankton. And Dave Hill, who we've had on the show, is the one person in this country who can look down a microscope and identify that off the bat without having to do some fancy molecular technique, Mm. which people are only just developing now. So it's crucially important that these kinds of things happen and that these people are supported. It's 9.59. We have to get out of here and make way for the doctors who are coming into the show, coming into the studio. Um, like to thank our guests, uh, Jeff Folkler in Lording and also Phil Newman for coming in and joining us. Next week we're going to have um, Anth and John in the studio. You have been listening to Radio Marinara. Thank My you, name's Ken. Dr Beach and thank you very much, Kent, for panelling for thank us. You, Ken. Sayonara. This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.